three Saturdays ago in fulfillment of our mission from Jesus to reach all the nations, including the nations among us. We launched our ethnic restaurant adoption, and, uh, and we kicked it off. But there's Jay Bell teaching a little, you know, he's pumping us up here as we uh, got started. And then we concluded with Jay's excellent rally. Uh, we broke off into two teams on that day, and my team went to Top Thai Restaurant. We met our server, who's from Thailand, has a mother and a son uh, still there, and hopes the son can visit this summer. It was just great interactions. And then team two, team Bommies, not only enjoyed spicy Indian food, uh, but they also talked at length with the owner. And then uh, he invited them to their Sikh temple in Fort Wayne. And then almost right on cue, the two leaders of the Sikh temple from Fort Wayne came into the restaurant for lunch. And now they're going to have this uh, interaction with Jay Bell and his team. You see where that's going. So yes, they talked, and uh, they invited us all there. I shared some literature. They, they shared the gospel. Chuck and Melissa Chappelle learned how to make an Indian dish, and they all learned some uh, Punjabi uh, greetings. So praise God. This is Christians being on mission every, just everywhere we go. Amen? The nations are here. Our neighbors are here. We worship the real Jesus, and we're going to hear some real words, some real critical words from Jesus today as we continue our Matthew series. Open with me to Matthew 24 is where we pick, off, pick up today, Matthew chapter 24. You can turn on your Bibles, open them up. And as you have heard and will hear again, we're beginning three weeks in the topic of end times prophecy. If you did not get a bulletin, why don't you raise your hand and, and the ushers will give you one. It's nice to have those sermon notes and all the other updates in there as we follow along. So a three-week focus on end times prophecy. Uh, we pick up in, the, in Holy Week. We're on Tuesday, the last week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. And he's having all kinds of interactions in Jerusalem. We're going to pick up here with the Olivet Discourse before I get there. Right in the middle of these three weeks, with our end times focus, next week we have a prophecy conference that we're holding open to the uh, whole community and church. Uh, special guest speaker, Dr. Larry Overstreet. If that name sounds familiar, yes, that is my dad. My dad, for years, decades, was a pastor and a seminary professor. And I've just learned that seminary professors are pretty um, amazing creatures. Uh, they have memory retention that I did not inherit. And uh, he is great, and he's, he's led a lot of prophecy conferences uh, over his life, and it's going to be fantastic. Come. You see the invitation postcard that looks like this in your bulletins to, uh, to invite somebody. Over these three weeks, our sovereign God is going to challenge us. He's going to reassure us, though. He's going to give us all the confidence in the world in him, and he's going to guide us for our lives. And, of course, can again remind us of the urgency of proclaiming salvation through him, this mission that he's given us. He told us today some signs that his return, he told us to watch for, they're increasing and getting closer. And as we open to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' last long speech before he goes to the cross that weekend, he gives us a lot of insight into the future. And we're going to study all that over the next three weeks, and we're, we'll find that it's, ex it's extremely relevant to our lives today, just as it was to his original listeners on the Olivet, on the Mount of Olives. So that is the setting. 
kind of take your minds with me to there right now. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Again, it was Tuesday of Holy Week, three days before Jesus' crucifixion. This section, Matthew 24 and 25, are called the Olivet Discourse because he gave this information to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And so we know it as the Olivet Discourse. And he gave this information in answer to their questions about his coming again and, and what would the end of the age look like? Questions which concern us as well. Now, this text, like most all prophecy texts, are highly debated now, but that's because we now, people, look at these texts through these complex theological systems. Things like premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism, is it literal or spiritualized interpretation, dispensational or covenant theology, and on and on and on. Just so you know, right off the bat, this church and I take a pre-trib, premillennial position on end times prophecy, and that's fine. But I love studying all of the theological systems, and I love fellowshipping and growing with all of my brothers and sisters from every theological system that's faithful to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And so that's our posture as we go here. And I'll tell you a couple things more. First, we'll get more into the details of all those juicy subjects next weekend. But today, what I want to focus on today is that Jesus was not talking to a group of disciples that were seminary-trained theologians and giving them these complex systems that is going to, are going to confuse them and bring them anxiety. That's exactly the opposite of what he's doing in his words today that we're going to study. And so it's more important for us today to get the, the confidence in his sovereignty and the clarity of his coming not anxiety, not confusion, not fights and arguments, but for us to apply Jesus' words as straightforwardly as possible to where we are today, because that's exactly his hope for us today. With this in mind, we're going to find three amazing truths from Jesus today, which strengthen our lives as followers of his in this dark world. They are our responses to King Jesus' authority to his power, and to his prophecies, how will we respond to these today? The first of those is, in the face of all kinds of hardships in life, we shall trust in Jesus' authority. Trust in Jesus' authority. It's all about King Jesus and who we are in him, and we can trust him and his authority completely. Let's begin with the first two verses, which set the stage here. For what we're about to receive. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came out to, to him to point out the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Now, in the Gospel of Luke points out that they're, they're, they're pointing out to Jesus, look at the magnificent buildings of Herod's temple. Aren't they just something amazing? And they were. Now, here's what Jesus responded to them. As they're walking out of Jerusalem at the end of the day on Tuesday, the sun was probably setting, just magnificent looking. It's beautiful. He answered, verse 2, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This beautiful structure, here we're seeing this picture, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was magnificent. And as the disciples are observing that, Jesus says, yeah, okay, it's time to tell you about the future. And first of all, soon this temple will be smashed to the ground. And now that got their attention, and we are off with a bang. And then we come to verse 
What we're going to see, what we're going to see in this prophecy, just like in all other biblical prophecy, I want to point out a couple things. First of all, that the Bible is almost a third of it is prophecy. And so over the years together, we're going to talk a lot about prophecy. About half of the Bible's prophecies have been fulfilled, and we see how they were fulfilled so literally and precisely. An amazing faith builder to study that. But the future prophetic words that haven't been fulfilled yet can be a little bit obscure because we don't have hindsight, but we have faith, and we can understand it exactly as much as God wants us to. Prophetic words always have relevance to the original hearers. There's a direct meaning that's relevant to them. But many of them also have a future fulfillment, or sometimes even more than one future fulfillment. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus has two main events in mind. And so we have to just recognize this, and it's important to distinguish as best as we can when Jesus is talking about which of the two events. The first event that he's got in mind is the soon coming total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D., that was about 40 years from this conversation. He knew what was going to happen. Now just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They, they aren't aware of what's going to happen in the future precisely. As we are now, we can look in the history books and the archaeological records and see indeed everything was destroyed and they've left stones and damage that have been there for 2,000 years as a testimony to the attack on Jerusalem in 70 AD. Your Bible might have a title here like mine, Jesus foretells destruction of the temple. Well, we know this now, but the disciples then, as they walked, they're pondering this together, and, and so they had to ask Jesus two follow-up questions. Verse 3, And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age. Look closely here. They're asking when. Now remember, they were thinking that it was going to happen right away. Faithful watchers of the Messiah didn't realize there would be two, two comings of the Messiah, two advents. But we realize that now because in the first one, Jesus blew their minds. He did not come to establish his rule physically over the earth. And that's why people got fed up with him and crucified him. He came in his first coming to conquer sin and death for all time. That's good news that we've been rejoicing in today already. But his second coming, he will reign and rule on the earth. So they're asking, but they think it's going to happen right now. Even up to Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, they're thinking, is now the time, Jesus? What would be the sign of you coming to fulfill your permanent presence? That word coming is the Greek word parousia, which means the, the full presence and the arrival. And so they're asking, when is it going to be where your permanent presence is going to be here and fill the earth? Partially, it was fulfilled and begun in their lifetime, but its fullness God has extended to our day and beyond. But how much longer will it be? How much longer will it be? As we're going to see today, it's getting closer, and it doesn't seem much longer. So in the rest of this chapter and in the next, we're going to see, here's what we're going to see as we go ahead today and then over the next two weeks. First in verses 4 through 14, Jesus is going to tell them signs to watch for and to be mindful of, again, which point to two events. First in their lifetime, 70 AD. That's going to be terrible 
It's going to be terrible, but it's going to be just a foreshadow of the sign of the end of this age, which is still future to us. Then in verses 15 through 28, we're going to see Jesus recall the prophet Daniel's teaching about prophecies about the abomination of desolation and a great time of tribulation that the world has never seen yet. Then in verse 29, which is next week, we'll talk about more about Jesus' second coming. And all the way, Jesus assures us, this is why he's telling us all this, that he is in charge, that he is in control, and that we can trust him. Amen? There's no reason to doubt it. I hope you have that, or that you'll walk away today with that assurance. Okay, we can move on to number two now as we go into the text. And that is, takeaway number two, persevere in King Jesus' power. Persevere. To persevere is to never give up to never look back, to never lose hope, to keep on going no matter what we face in life. Good things that are distracting, bad things that are terrible, or just basic distractions in life. In King Jesus' power, in the face of anything, anything, persevere. And now Jesus starts giving signs of the unfolding events ahead. And some, again, were in the Roman invasion of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and some are still future to us. Understand Understand this, major takeaway, he's giving these words knowing that they're going to be reassuring and helpful and guiding to all of his followers. Those then, those who have lived in the 1900 years between us, those now, and those however many days we have left before he comes, these words assure us to persevere to the end because he is God, he is good, he's in control. Persevere in the face of what? First thing, in the face of deception, verses 4 and 5, deceivers have always existed, but now, and so this has always been relevant, but it's increasingly so, deception has grown and grown and continues to grow as we come near to the end times. Let's see verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. I want you to hear these words because they're spoken to you. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray, many different versions of Jesus. So sign number one is that religious deception will increase and continue to intensify as time goes on, and indeed it has. And we can rightly think of the major world religions that cover the earth that are so influential, and the major cults that have come up and, and preached a different Jesus. They're so pervasive all over the world. But deception can also be more subtle, and this is what we have to watch out for even more closely, and that is that many of the people we watch on TV or read their books or even leading churches or attending churches or maybe who are sitting next to you right now, you can look at each other, <laughs> can be guilty of promoting a version of Jesus that is not in the Bible. It's increasingly common as fewer and fewer Christians have a biblical worldview. We create a Jesus that, yeah, I like that Jesus. I'm going to worship and follow that. And that is not. That's deception. That's not the real Jesus. That's not the Jesus that saves. The real Jesus says that if you love, you will obey his commands. All of them. So know your Bible, the real Jesus, and persevere in his power in the face of all kinds of of deception. 
Eventually, deception will climax in the Antichrist and in his false prophet who will embody the influence of satanic deception itself in the tribulation, a time when God will have withdrawn the restraining power of the Holy Spirit as described in Revelation 13. That's where this is heading. So again, Jesus' words on the Olivet Discourse are for all of his believers, then, now, and then all the brothers and sisters to come and who will be alive in the time of the Antichrist. And the message is the same. Persevere. Persevere. Don't be deceived. Please, brothers and sisters. In the next sign of the end, Jesus says to persevere in the face of widespread tribulation. Verses 6 through 8, Jesus describes these are signs that are big, that are easily measurable on a global scale. Verses 6 through 8, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. Listen to this, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Here's what you'll see as we get closer to the end. For nation will arise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Well, let's look at those. Wars. We'll start with wars. don't know if you learned this in school, but in the 20th century, which was the 1900s, which many of us were alive in, was the bloodiest century of all of human history. All the wars combined, a total of 187 million people were slaughtered in the wars of the 20th century. Wars, rumors of wars, they've always been around, but they're increasing all the time. And with the growing interconnection of the nations of the world and global world economy, it's easier and easier to see exactly how Revelation 13 describes how the Antichrist drags every nation into war. We see that. And not just war, but natural disasters continue in, to increase by every measurement. All of the natural disasters are increasing. And the combination of geological natural disasters coinciding with spiritual deception, political turmoil, unrest, we have and will we'll continue to see increasing panic and desperation and fear and fear-mongering. Have we seen any of those things in the last few years? Is anyone ready to build a bunker yet and start prepping? <laughs> I saw a hand raise. I know some of you said, I've been doing that for years. Okay, you don't need to. We don't need to panic, because what did Jesus say? In verse 6 again, see to it that you were not alarmed in the face of terrible things. He tells us, oh, children of mine, followers of mine, persevere. Do not be afraid. We persevere in his power, and that's the character of Jesus Christ's followers. And besides, what we've seen so far is only the beginning of birth pains. If anybody's had a child, you know you have experienced firsthand or have watched, contractions get more intense and more regular as you get closer. And that's okay. The message is the same. Persevere. So be ready, Christians, also to persevere in the face of persecution. Verse 9. Not only is there widespread tribulation to be aware of, there's also personal tribulation that Jesus promised his followers would face. And he says to face it well. Verse 9. 
Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The darkness hates the light. Lies hate the truth. Persecution from those who hate Jesus will increase as it has. There is more persecution and martyrdom of Christians worldwide now than there ever has been. And those who come to Christ in the tribulation period will become targets of execution. It's been made pretty well known, the, the concept of not being able to buy or sell or trade without the mark of the beast. And I'm old enough to remember a time before the internet. And I used to think when the, studying that, that stuff, eh, how, can they, how can they possibly do that? It's not so hard to imagine now, is it? Everything I'm doing right now is being tracked and recorded right now. Hello out there. You're typing right now. The push for a cashless society, total control is absolutely possible anytime. And people in society are ready to turn you in if you go against the rules, aren't they? Brethren, we live in a free country for now. But I want you to just for a moment take your hearts along with our brothers and sisters in Christ in communist countries, in Muslim countries, in dictatorial countries, and in other countries where there's no freedom of religion and great persecution just right now. Now, they are reading the same scripture if they're blessed to have a copy of scripture, and we need to be on mission to give them that. But they're, they're being strengthened by this encouragement from Jesus himself to persevere, and they are. Story after story of that from around the world should inspire and, and strengthen us. Again, through these words, Jesus calls all of his followers to persevere in the power of Christ, whatever comes, whatever persecution that we must face. That's fine. Praise God. Now we turn from outside struggles to the inside. Jesus knows that we will struggle on the inside with many temptations. Many. And those have, and they will continue to increase. He says, persevere, D, in the face of temptation. Our faith is tested in increasingly in this world in which we live. And many who we thought were Christians will defect. I want you to listen to these verses very, very closely, verses 10 through 13. And then, he said, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Followers of Christ, we're going to continually be, as we have already and increasingly so, be tempted to fall away, to not trust God, to not believe all of his word and live it, to not obey Jesus under the threat of bodily harm, or being a social outcast. Those pressures are facing us. They're real. And many are betraying Jesus, turning from Jesus, and betraying his followers, those who are faithful to him, and don't join them. Now, this has always happened, again, but it's happening on an increasing scale. 
This is pictured by this book that came out several years ago, The Rise of the Nuns. This is just a, in the national surveys of, of faith and Christianity, more inc fat, rapidly increasing uh, numbers of our population are saying, none, no affiliation with Jesus whatsoever. I don't want it. I'm going to be my own God. This is happening around the world, except where the gospel is exploding, and he comes to that in just a moment. Hang with me. We're in a worldview war right now in America. As lawlessness increases today, Jesus said this was going to happen. And Satan's got so many tools, and I don't want you to fall for any of them. The, the battlefronts that we have today that are deceiving many who claim faith in Christ are, are evolution, and eh, there's no God, or secularism, that if there is a God, he's not relevant. It's the secular pursuits that are more relevant, or humanism, and that's that it's all about us. God, whatever, I'm, it's all about me, it's all about us. Or greed and lack of compassion. We are way too often convinced, brothers and sisters, that caring for needy is, is not very important in the big picture. Envy, injustice, Idolatry of all kinds hits us. Sexual sins of all kinds constantly bombards us. Abortion and all things related to the culture of death. All these things which are not just culturally approved, but they're celebrated and now forced. It gives Christians much temptation to fall away. It's like, I don't want this pressure. It tests our faith and gives us pressure to turn away. Just a few other points as we track what's been going on over these centuries. In the 18th century, liberalism, uh, theologically, started mass apostasy in the church. People's just churches over the last 200 years have been one right after another. Denominations falling, not, but not just believing in the Bible, not even looking at the Bible anymore. Apostasy on a massive scale that's led to progressive Christianity, to wokeness. Lawlessness has increased outside the church as well. Just turn on the TV, or better don't turn on the TV. Another sign is not just the acceptance of redefining marriage to same-sex marriage, and who knows what else. There's a lot of other things being pressed, but the sacrament of worship that that redefinition of, of God's definition has become. Since just the last 20 years, just the last 20 years, country after country has been redefining marriage for the, this is for the first time in history. In 10 years in America, we followed suit and now tie in foreign aid to adherence to that and abortion and all those things. Now, before 20 years ago, just 20 years ago, for all of human history, no national leader had ever moved to redefine marriage except Nero. The Roman Emperor Nero in 64 AD made that push after he killed his wives, killed Christians by burning them on the torch, torches, castrated his servant boy, and tried to make it legal to marry him. Not since then, until 20 years ago, has this even been a thing. But now 20 years, since 20 years ago, 34 countries and counting are forcing this definition of marriage and pressuring us who believe in God's word and the sanctity of marriage and everything God says that it's better for society and it's holy for us and it's good for us and they're life-giving words to obey Jesus Now, transgenderism, of course, is taking the main stage, and anyone who stands against that, especially for the Christian faith, is rebuked, slandered, marginalized, fired, fined, or arrested. Now, 
We, our natural self, wants to hate and push back. That's not what Jesus called. But we have the, the greatest love to give everyone. And one of my favorite things to hear is testimonies of people who got caught up in all those things until they met Jesus. Testimony after testimony. Those don't get promoted on the internet right now unless we, unless we share them. Lots of them out there. We love people by telling them the truth and showing, loving them. Lawlessness has increased. Many who once claimed to be Christians have turned away. It's happening all the time, all around us. Many now turn to attack faithful believers, but take heart. Jesus saw this coming, didn't he? He saw it coming all, all the way. He tells all his followers it will come. And we haven't seen anything yet compared to what's happened. What's to happen in the Great Tribulation? But read verse 13 again. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Will prove themselves true faithful followers of Jesus. Who truly repented. We will endure. Major church leaders are turning their backs on, on God because of all this pressure. Don't look to them. Look to Jesus. And let's stand strong together in him. Persevere. Like Peter said to Jesus, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. And we would say, Jesus, where else would we go? Only you have saved our soul. I'm following only Jesus. And he's explained very clearly that the true love that we have to give people is to warn them and to tell them this truth and not marginalize them or persecute them. But we have to tell the truth. You're heading for a cliff of damnation, and we want you to, to receive life in Jesus. We will not turn away. We will persevere. And that brings us to the last sign of this section. For the sake of our mission from Jesus, point E, proclaiming the gospel in the face of it all. Now look at the positive sign that Jesus ends with in this section. Verse 14. And... The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end end will come. In the face of everything else, the saving gospel of Jesus will remain proclaimed. True followers will be faithful. All nations will hear the gospel that Jesus is God, God's Son, who came to be one of us, to live like one of us, but perfectly, to die for all of our sins, taking all of our sins on himself and imparting his righteousness on all of us. Then, rising from the dead to conquer sin and death and offer us faith, life, eternally. That's the good news. That's the best news in the world, and it will be proclaimed until every nation hears. This is happening right now in the worldwide global mission, which we get to be a part of right now. The nations are hearing. The nations among us, they're hearing. And this will culminate in the tribulation age when, as the book of Revelation describes, the 144,000 will be unleashed to preach the gospel to all nations. And for much more about all of that, come to the Prophecy Conference this Saturday. But right now, let's look at our final point and portion of the text today. And that is, point three, prepare with Jesus' prophecies. Prepare for Jesus' return, for this obeys him and it readies us and it strengthens us. In verses 15 through 28, Jesus is going to link some Old Testament scriptures that his 
original hearers right then would have known very well and that we need to know very well also. Verse 15. After all those signs, he says, So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, you see the abomination of desolation, I'll explain what that is, standing in the holy place, and Matthew adds, let the reader understand. Let's understand. The abomination that causes desolation was referred to by the prophet Daniel three times in the book of Daniel. First of all, what is an abomination? Abomination is a great sin, a great idolatry, or a great covenant breaking. It's an abomination before God. And then this one causes desolation, total destruction. And this has been thought to see its fulfillment several times in history. Put yourself with Jesus' original hearers right now. And the one that came to mind right away for them would have been Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 B.C., who came and leveled the temple, set up on the altar, an altar to Zeus, and started sacrificing pigs to scorn Yahweh. It was a time of great persecution. And, of course, that was on their minds right away. And Antiochus Epiphanes standing in the holy place. But Jesus here sets up this being fulfilled again. Now, he knows it's coming again in 70 AD. In 70 AD, just 40 years later, the Romans will destroy Jerusalem and the temple, slaughtering much of the population, and Titus standing in the holy place. Watch out for this. But even that doesn't qualify as the fulfillment that Jesus is talking about, which 70 AD foreshadows. It's still in the future. The much worse tribulation that is to come under the Antichrist. So hear these words, Christ followers of today, because Jesus spoke them to you. Verses 16 through 22. Now, there's a direct application to those in their lifetime in 70 AD. But there's a foreshadowing here of things to come in our lifetime that we can apply. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and they did. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is his in the house. It will be a time of terror. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. It's those words there that show this is still in the future. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. From Jesus' words here, plus John's in Revelation and Paul's in 2 Thessalonians, we see that the ultimate fulfillment of the abomination of desolation is in the Antichrist himself. Who is the Antichrist? Well, that's a pretty common question. Who is the Antichrist? A lot of people have been blamed to be the Antichrist. Who is this Antichrist that Satan is going to raise up and, and possess personally? There have been many guesses. And since no one knows the time or the hour of Jesus' return, one astute observation is that Satan has probably had someone prepared in every generation over the last 2,000 years. Of course, probably the most thought-of person was Adolf Hitler, 
who rose to great power and executed six million Jews in the Holocaust in the 1940s, 1941 and 1945. Now, my dad was born in 1941, and just imagine some of you were alive then too, and you remember this. If you study this, there was a great deal of thought with the Holocaust, the execution of the Jews, and then Israel being restored as a nation in 1948, which could be the biggest single sign. The whole world was thinking, well, look at these signs. Look at what's happening. Jesus is going to return soon. And indeed he is. And as we've seen today, the signs are escalating and increasing like the birth pangs. And Jesus is coming back soon. Now, don't forget why Jesus tells us this. In the rest of the verses up through verse 28, Jesus reviews what he said earlier. And so I'm going to conclude with this. Don't miss Jesus' point and message to us all. And that is, number one, was trust in his authority. It's been said today. It's been celebrated today. He's in control. We have nothing to fear. We can encourage each other with these words. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him and his power. And that's number two, is per persevere in his power, not on our own. And this includes obeying all that Jesus has to tell us. So there's a danger in being either, either fearful or just fixated on watching for Jesus' return that we forget to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's what we're supposed to do now. And finally, proclaiming Jesus' gospel like never before, planting gospel seeds everywhere we go, become more and more comfortable with it, more familiar with it, celebrate. One of our goals as a church is that everyone would come on Sunday with some story a conversation you were able to have, planting a gospel seed out in the world, in the community. It's working. Our leadership is doing this more and more. It's catching on. Praise God. It's all for his glory. The world needs to hear and receive the, the truth and the love that we have to give them. Lord, make us faithful. Amen? Let's close in prayer and worship him. Lord, these are amazing truths, and I pray they will wake us up from our slumber and distractions. Because being awoken from all those things is so much better to be worshipful for yours, totally without fear, on mission, encouraging each other, serving all the, the people who need to be served in every single way. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you'll make us faithful followers of yours in an increasingly faithful church. We want to steward the grace that you've given us in every way that we can. Hear our prayers as we respond to you with our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.